Sentire Media. Hello everyone and welcome to A History of Italy. Episode 24. Outstanding Otto and more mess from a pawn pope. Right, before we begin this episode, uh, I'd like to apologize if there's any difference in sound quality. Indeed, in this period, I'm recording from my recording studio in the mountains. And by recording studio, I mean a plastic table set in the corner of the bedroom in our house in the mountains. So if you hear any difference in quality, that's the reason. It'll only be for a couple of episodes. The current position could also cause some delays in communication as the internet is not brilliant up here. So if you're trying to get in touch and I'm not quick in answering, I apologize for that. I'll get round to it soon enough. Indeed, at the end of this episode, stay tuned because I've got loads of thank yous and shout outs to give. So, last time we set the scene by introducing the two great contenders in the first round of the struggle between the papacy in Rome and the Holy Roman Empire that then characterized European history for centuries to come. We saw how Otto I of Germany had become ruler of the Kingdom of Italy, thanks in particular to his marriage with Adelaide of Italy, the widow of the previous king, Lothar, son of Hugo of Provence. Now, just to go back there a sec, Hugo was the third husband of the famous Marozia, and the stepfather of Alberic of Rome. But anyway, what you really need to remember is that at the moment, Otto I, the Saxon king of Germany, had become king of Italy. Or better, king of northern Italy. Indeed, if you're a little bit lost in all the feudal confusion, don't worry too much. First of all, you don't really need to remember all the people involved. Just remember that in the 10th century in Italy, there were a whole series of duchies and principalities and other territorial entities, and that at a certain point Otto came along and declared himself king of the northern part. Although all of the rulers there continued to pretend he wasn't really there, and he kept having to come over the Alps to sort them out. Also, there is a recap episode coming up soon, so it may help clear up the names in your head a little, or perhaps make things even worse, who knows. Anyway, Back to it. Last week, we also introduced the son of Alberic of Rome, Octavian, who took over administrative rule of Rome at the death of his father. And then, when Pope Agapetus II mysteriously and conveniently died, he also became Pope with the name of John Twelfth. Now, we mentioned that at the time of his, let's call it, election, he was only 18 years old, and that seemed like a very young age to renounce earthly pleasures for a life of prayer and chastity. The solution? Well, just don't bother. John XII's favourite places were the tavern and the brothel, and under his rule, it was a bit hard to tell the difference between those places and the Vatican itself. He had inherited the ambition of his grandmother Marozia and of his father Alberic, but none of his father's common sense. 
One of the first things he did, with dreams in mind of uniting Italy under his rule, was to invade the Principality of Benevento and the Duchy of Capua. Unfortunately for him, the army of the Principality of Salerno showed up to help its neighbours, and the Pope's forces were defeated. Not having had any luck towards the south, he looked north to where Berengarius of Ivrea was now trying to get his grubby hands on the Emilia area, then part of the Papal States. John was not completely stupid, however, and had learned his lesson, so he knew that if he didn't want to get a kicking from Berengarius as well, he would need help. So, in 962, re-enter stage left or north, in this case, our good old neighbour Otto of Saxony. John Twelfth invited him to Rome with a promise of an imperial coronation, and Otto happily accepted. However, with the emperor on his way, the city needed to be cleaned up a bit, so all of the prostitutes were hidden away in convents for the time being. Otto did not have a really great holiday down in Rome, and the traditional Roman xenophobia meant that he got nasty looks wherever he went, and the tension was high. The soon-to-be emperor went everywhere with a heavy guard, and even during the coronation ceremony didn't feel safe, and asked one of his nobles, Ansfried, to keep watch over him as he bowed his head in prayer. When Ansfried objected that he too would have to bow his head to pray, his emperor answered that if they both bowed their heads, they may both lose them. In the end, the emperor kept his head, and we see the dawn of a new Holy Roman Empire. This one more Germanic than before, in the sense that it didn't have the French part of the ex-Carolingian Empire. Now Otto had completed the third and last step in the DIY How to Become a Holy Roman Emperor process. You will remember that the phases were 1. Get elected King of Germany. Check. 2. Go and get yourself crowned King of Italy. Check. And now, get the Pope to crown you Holy Roman Emperor. Check, check, check. You will also remember that when Charlemagne was crowned in 800, so we're now looking at 162 years later, Pope Leo III had craftily popped the crown on his head with the clear intention of sending the message that it was only with the authority of the Pope that the Emperor could be crowned. Otto was a clever man, and he knew that there wasn't much he could do to overturn this precedent. But he did something really crafty. It was shortly after his coronation that he promulgated the Privilegium Ottonis, the privilege of Otto, which stated that, indeed, the Emperor was crowned by the Pope, but said Pope could not be elected without the consent of the Emperor. In short, it was the Emperor who had the authority to nominate or approve the nomination of the man who then had the authority to crown the Emperor. Clever, eh? This was one of the main differences, apart from missing France, 
between the Carolingian Empire and the new German Holy Roman Empire. The main differences can be narrowed down to five. First of all, Italy was under the direct rule of the German crown and officially had no autonomy. Second, the emperor was elected by his feudal lords and the title was, theoretically, non-hereditary, although if the emperor was strong enough, he could get his lords to approve his son as the next emperor. Third point, as we said, France was no longer part of the deal. The fourth point we mentioned above was the control over the Pope, the privilege of Otto, in which the emperor had to approve the nomination of the Pope. This is directly connected to the fifth difference between the Carolingian Empire and the German Holy Roman Empire, which was the conflict between the Empire and the Papacy. So, Otto had become emperor and off he went. As soon as he left, Pope Giovanni XII brought all of the prostitutes out of hiding and it was said at the time that more prostitutes came out of the convents than those that went in. Furthermore, it seems that women were actually afraid to go out and be alone in the streets of Rome at night for fear of being apprehended and ending up in the Pope's personal harem. Although the ladies therein were quite well treated, showered with lavish gifts. Indeed, the gifts and the showering thereof was so exaggerated, as was the Pope's lifestyle in general, that there was no money left to actually run the city, and it slowly fell into ruin, with churches and other public buildings being abandoned and starting to crumble. After all the excitement and monumental changes of 962, you'd think everyone would want to relax and take a year off, maybe do some travelling, or write down the memoirs that they'd been thinking of, those that could write, obviously, which weren't many. No chance. 963 started out as a bad news year for the new Emperor Otto. As he was preparing an expedition to sort out Berengarius, who was once again acting up in northern Italy, he found out that Berengarius's son, Adalbert, was in cahoots with none other than the Pope himself, and they were plotting a rebellion against the Emperor. So, down he went again. You can imagine Adelaide every time he started packing his bags. Going down to Italy to put down a rebellion again, dear? Pick up some wine on your way back, would you? Anyway, down he went, and this time around, he was really annoyed. Something the Romans picked up on, and suddenly they were no longer xenophobic, and Otto was hailed as a liberating hero. Pope Giovanni escaped in a carriage with two of his lovers and a chest full of jewels. In his absence, Otto put Leo VIII on the papal throne and convened a synod to have Giovanni tried. He was accused of murder, oath-breaking, incest, profaning churches, and interestingly, gambling on dice and venerating pagan gods. Apparently, he was taken to going down to the stables when he'd had a few too many and making toasts to Venus and Jove. He was asked to come and answer the accusations 
and he responded with a very diplomatic letter in which he excommunicated all involved, starting from Pope Leo VIII and the Emperor himself. This time, the Emperor decided to hang about a bit in Rome. He actually managed to provoke a rebellion of the Romans in 964, in which he was saved thanks to the charge of his cavalry. After that, he decided it was finally time to leave Rome for a little and go and fight the usual Adalbert over in Spoleto. Almost as soon as the dust of the departing army had settled, the Romans called back their Pope Giovanni, forcing Leo to run off after the departing Otto. Giovanni immediately convened a council on the 26th of February to annul all of the decisions made by the synod that had deposed him, and then it was payback time. Those who had elected Leo were brutally mutilated, and many others died in the papal prisons after long torture sessions. The whole nasty persecution ended abruptly on the 14th of May with the death of the persecutor, Pope Giovanni XII, himself. It is not certain whether he was killed by a club on the head from a jealous husband or a thrombosis. Whatever the case may have been, he was no more. The Romans at this point completely ignored Emperor Otto's whole privilegium thing and went ahead as they were used to doing and elected another Benedict, the fifth this time. You can't exactly say that he was a man who stuck to his guns because he had signed the deposition of John Twelfth under Leo and that of Leo when John Twelfth returned. Now, Otto was not pleased at all, not in the slightest bit. He wasn't just messing around when he had declared his privilegium. He came back to the city and laid siege to it. Soon enough, he was in and had put Leo VIII back in his place. The usurping pope was made to lie naked on the ground as a punishment, but then given a friar's tunic and sent off to a monastery. Unfortunately, that was still not the end of Otto's pope trouble. Leo inconveniently went and died in 965. Now the Romans at first showed that they had learned their lesson and waited for Otto to have yet another John elected. For those of you who aren't completely lost and are counting, this would be number 13. However, soon enough, the Romans decided they didn't like this new Pope and rebelled and imprisoned him. So, once again, in 966... Guess who had to come down over the Alps? This time, Otto's rage was off the scales. He was beyond boiling point, beyond meltdown. He had to sort out the usual Adalbert in Lombardy again, and when he got to Rome, he defeated the rebels and took their leader, whose name, wouldn't you know it, was Giovanni, and had him mutilated and blinded. He then proceeded to have the man hung by his hair from the equestrian statue of Marcus Aurelius in the Campidoglio on the Capitol Hill for a whole day for the Romans to make fun of him and spit on him. After dangling there for a day, he was taken down and his nose and ears were chopped off, after which he was made to ride backwards on a donkey with a silly plumed hat on his head and an urn full of dung 
attached to each foot. The dead were not spared either, with the bodies of two noblemen being exhumed and thrown into the river. Commentators at the time noted that, even including the times of Marozia, Rome had never reached such lows. It was one of the worst periods in the city's history. That's where we'll leave Rome for now. As I said, soon we'll finish off the Ottonians and then we'll have a bit of a recap episode from the end of the Lombards to the end of the Ottonians, probably. As always, thank you very, very much to everyone for listening. In particular, thanks to Michael R. for getting in touch. He's going to be coming to Italy soon to study at the very prestigious Bocconi University in Milan from the US. So congratulations to you, Mike, on that. And I hope you enjoy your time in Italy. We have some lovely new iTunes reviews. So thank you, thank you very much to Fulano0089, to Maddie B, and to Windy Point. Maddie B in particular actually has a BA in history, so I feel a bit humbled here. Thank you very much for your review. We also have a new Patreon supporter, Shelby H. Thank you much for your generosity, Shelby. I would say that now we're almost certain to be able to continue beyond our October deadline when we have to renew the payments for all the hosting costs. So thank you, thank you very much to her and, of course, to our good old friends, Sen, Sean and Roberta, who are our regular Patreon donors. Thanks to everyone for listening, as always. And as always, arrivederci. Sentire Media Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentiri Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.